Welcome, good evening, good day, how are you? I am your host, Mark Kameyer, and you are listening to the Rantings of a Maniac podcast, the show where I give you a sneak peek into the inner workings of my mind, things I'm passionate about, things I loathe, the things that make me laugh or cry, it's all here. And if you've tuned in for the first couple of episodes, you might have sensed a pattern, but today I'm going to break that pattern because this is a special edition of what I'm going to start calling Musical Maniac, or maybe I'll call it uh, Maniac Music. That sounds a little better, doesn't it? Music of a Maniac. We'll workshop that. It doesn't matter, but the point is, this episode is going to deal with music, not movies this time. I know, a little break from the norm, but a little break never help, uh, never hurts, actually. It, it does help. It always helps. Never hurts. And today, it's a special episode, not just because it's about music, but it's about a certain particular band. And keeping it on brand with the show, it is all my opinion-based. Therefore, I'm going to talk to you about not just a band, but my favorite band. This week, we are going to talk about the Deftones. And maybe you're not familiar with the Deftones, or maybe you're not as familiar. That would depend on the genre or genres of music that you listen to in particular, but I'm willing to bet you have heard this band at some point in your life. Maybe you heard them featured on a soundtrack. I know, for instance, they have songs that are featured on the Little Nicky soundtrack, Queen of the Damned, most especially, The Crow, City of Angels, and countless others. Not to mention you might have heard them uh, maybe in a commercial, maybe snippets of some of their songs. Maybe you've heard them on a TV show. But I guarantee you, somewhere along the way in your journey through the media, through entertainment, through music, movies, or whatnot, the Deftones have crossed your path. And this band is particularly special to me because, as I said, they're my favorite band of all time. And why? Because this band came to me at a point in my life where I was unsure. I was unsure of what music I felt was going to influence me for the rest of my life. At the time, I'm listening to everything from uh, pop to rock, regular pop rock, uh, to punk, to a little bit of uh, light jazz and classic rock. You can thank my parents for that one. But I'm a young, impressionable boy at the time. And really in my, uh, in my adolescence, maybe even my preteen years, I was starting to develop a taste for the heavier side of music. And that's when metal came into my world. Though I should say, metal has always been a part of my world. From the early days of listening to bands like Van Halen and Guns N' Roses on uh, what seemed like a non-stop loop because, well, who doesn't love Van Halen and Guns N' Roses? And th- those are just two examples. And really, my introduction to metal came much earlier than that when I purchased for uh, one of my first albums ever was a movie soundtrack. In fact, it was the Mortal Kombat motion picture soundtrack. 
I know. You can imagine where my musical upbringings really derive from. You could say it's derived from my love of film. And I'm not going to argue that. And the Mortal Kombat soundtrack featured this really weird yet kind of healthy blend of both uh, sort of techno, electronica, house music, maybe a little bit of uh, a post-80s synth wave, and then the other half was straight grindcore or death metal, industrial metal. Basically, it was metal and techno was that soundtrack. So it introduced me to bands like Fear Factory, who I would go on to listen to for uh, uh, the remainder of my teenage years. It introduced me to such uh, synthwave bands and uh, techno as Gravity Kills or Bile. Grindcore bands like Napalm Death. Typo Negative of the goth era. They're all there on that soundtrack. You could say I got hit with a with a cavalcade of different genres, yet still on brand to that particular uh, piece of the media in Mortal Kombat. It was crazy. Crazy times. You gotta love the 90s. So during this musical upbringing, it wasn't until around the year 2000 when I entered, uh, I'm gonna date myself, but I entered my junior high years. And that was when new Metal was all the rage. Now, new Metal, it's hard to describe, but really, new Metal didn't take shape until a particular band came around. Now, you can pinpoint different genres of music based on the areas of which they came from. California is home to many different musical movements, all the way back from the, uh, the glam rock slash hair metal of the 80s the grindcore of the early 90s, the thrash metal of the 80s, all California-based. I'm not saying that only those genres came from California, but they were very prominent from that area. And it was no exception in the area of Bakersfield, California, that a band, Korn, emerged. And Korn are the godfathers of what we consider new metal. To break that down for you, it was on the heavier side, but then the elements of hip-hop were introduced. Areas of the sort of goth rock were infused with it. You can tell that Korn and the like bands were influenced by things like The Smiths, The Cure, Depeche Mode, Joy Division, a lot of goth rock sort of new wave bands, all infusing, and while they wanted to stay on on top of the times, they tuned their guitars low. They started bellowing out growls. They talked about pain, the pain and the darkness of life. But then, they weren't shy to incorporate some of uh, the more popular elements of music at the time, and that was hip-hop, as I said. Some people call new metal basically just rap rock, and I would push back against that. However, I wouldn't push very hard, because we saw other bands in this genre sort of uh, uh, incorporate that same mentality. Bands like Limp Bizkit, bands like Seven Dust, bands like Dope, Primer 55, even Orgy. You could even consider parts of Rammstein 
new metal, though I personally wouldn't. But the point is, one of the more prominent bands in what was considered the new metal genre in the late 90s, the mid to late 90s, was the Deftones. And this is very telling when you go back and listen to their first album, Adrenaline. Now, Beth, it's very much inspired by the bands that are featured within that genre. It's very uh, rap rock oriented, yet you would also find that it's very punk influenced. It's very goth rock and new wave influenced. Though they would incorporate the new wave element, and by that I mean sort of the more synthy area. So I guess, let's say the synth wave. Synth wave meaning a lot of keyboard usage, a lot of uh, synthesizers. It's in the name, synth wave. All that would come later when the Deftones would incorporate their, their DJ and keys guy, Frank Delgado, but I'm getting ahead of myself. See, Deftones were formed in 1988 formed by the the guitar player Stefan, the singer Chino, and the drummer Abe. All went to school together, all had a common love of the punk music, the metal, and the 80s new wave. But also they wanted to stay relevant by forming a band together. And what I find so fascinating about this is the fact that new metal while prominent in the heavier music realm in the mid to late 90s, fizzled out by the time 2002 came around. And one could say maybe even as early as 2001 when the sudden wave of uh, what was called the new wave of American metal came about, which basically means uh, the the hardcore bands of Boston and uh, the New England area decided... We didn't want to play new metal. We want to play metal, but also incorporate the, the underground hardcore scene, or metalcore, as it became later. But the Deftones, they put out three albums before that change came. Three albums that would solidify their place in the, let's just, for lack of a better term, in the metal category. With Adrenaline, they put their stamp on the new metal. It was 1995. This was all the rage. This is also the time when they were trying to find their sound. It's really telling if you go back and listen to that album, whether it's the, uh, uh, I, I don't want to call it cheaply produced, but you can tell they produced this album on a budget. And the budget wasn't very large. And yet, as much as they still hadn't figured out their particular brand of sound yet, even then, they made a sound that did not sound like all the others. They don't sound like Korn on their album. They don't sound like Limp Bizkit. They don't sound like a lot of those other bands at the time. They don't sound like Cold Chamber. No, what they sounded like was something else. And nobody knew exactly what that was. And the answer is simple, because there was no other. 
they sounded like Deftones. But as I said, they're very hip-hop inspired, especially during that time, so they incorporate a lot of the hip-hop elements in the, the album Adrenaline. Two years later, they put out the album Around the Fur, their sophomore album. This is night and day, not remotely the same band. And yet it is. Because in Around the Fur, they fully embrace the more metal side. More so than they they could ever dare to in their previous album. And also, they had a lot more to say. Chino has been known to say that in that first album, he was just sort of... uh, trying to find his niche. He was a little angry. He was angry at a lot of things, but not nearly, not nearly as angry as he got the two years later when he would record and the band would put out Around the Fur. You can feel the anger. You can feel the dark resentment. What he was angry at, that's all open for interpretation. And that's something the Deftones have really, I don't want to say perfected, but they've made their own. Chino's writing in his lyrics are a bit what you would call unconventional. He certainly doesn't fit the mold in terms of what is considered high-class lyricism. And yet, he writes in a way that only he can. It's not gibberish. It's not nonsensical. Although, let's be fair, in Around the Fur, there are some nonsensical things. He's, you know, singing, growling. But it's with a purpose. You're not supposed to know what he's saying. You're not supposed to always interpret every single line of the song that he writes as literal translation. That's the beauty of lyrics. It can all be metaphorical, yet what you're saying on the page can mean one thing. But then you sing it, or in this case you scream it. And suddenly those words take on a whole new meaning. You could say Around the Fur is a commentary on what the rock star lifestyle truly is and that the Deftones are bringing you the truth. The title track Around the Fur sort of deals with that. What does it mean when you become uh, the vain rock star? Around the Fur, meaning the fur coat, the, uh, the fur... On, the, on, a, on a sofa. The fur on your shoes. The fur, fur being a sort of a, a metaphorical symbol, so, sort of the symbolism of what it means to be high class, quote unquote. And Chino and the boys are basically taking shots and taking a piss all over that concept. There's a lot of realism, too. I wouldn't say that every song probably means a a great deal uh, in the personal lives of the guys in the band, but I wouldn't argue if you were to say, well, yes, it does. Clearly, the song Be Quiet and Drive is about him cheating on a significant other. Or clearly, My Own Summer is about how it's way too hot in California in the summer, let's stay inside and play video games etc., etc. You could certainly think of it that way. Do I think of it that way? Not necessarily. 
but I'm not going to push back against you. There was a quote I read a a while back with uh, bass player Chi Chang, and they had asked him about Chino's lyrics because his unconventional writing style has been sort of a, uh, a commentary on the band as a strength, not a negative. And Chi had said, and I'm paraphrasing, but ultimately what he said was, I don't ask Chino what his song lyrics mean. I listen to them, and I read them, and I let them mean something to me. Again, all interpretation. And that's really what music is. Be it lyrics, or the instrumentation, or otherwise. Now, Adrenaline holds a special place in the hearts of many Deftones fans. A lot of of their fans seem to feel that Around the Fur is really where they hit their stride and is really what made most of their fandom come alive. Some would even say that Around the Fur is their greatest album because it symbolizes that they found their sound officially within that album and therefore would become the band that they were going to become later on. But I put it to you, as much as I love Around the Fur, and while Around the Fur was technically my introduction because of their first track, My Own Summer, I indirectly became a fan of Deftones because I heard a cover of a local band performing My Own Summer, and I said to myself, that song is awesome. I would find out afterwards that that song did not belong to that local band. That song was a Deftones song. So I thought to myself, Deftones, okay, all right, I'll have to remember that band. Three years go by, and then they release their third album, and what I put to you is their greatest album. Could be even their ninth symphony, if you will. Though I'm sure you would argue against that, and that's fine. You might even say, I don't think they've hit their ninth symphony yet, and okay. But their third album is White Pony. And this album is full of metaphors, symbolism, you could say uh, fictional stories that spawned, uh, uh, or actually, let me reverse that, real life situations that spawned fictional stories within the songs, as some songs are one to do. This was the album that really boosted the commercial success of Deftones, and I'm in junior high, So as soon as I heard their first hit, their first single from White Pony, which was Change, parentheses, in the House of Flies, I was hooked. I immediately went out to a record store when they existed, and I found it. Not only that, I found a a second version of the album. You see, there was the, the standard album with... 10 songs, and then there was the special edition with 11 songs. I said, I'll take that one. Later, they would release a third edition with uh, 12 songs, but that's neither here nor there. 
or maybe it was 12 and 13. It doesn't matter. The point is I got the first special edition with the uh, the white cover with the pony drawn on the side of it. And the only way you would know that was Deftones is if you knew that White Pony was the name of their album. And as soon as you saw that drawing of the pony, that's when you knew. But I got it, and it's not a stretch to say that album changed my life. Because if that album doesn't hit me the way that it did, do I even continue to become a Deftones fan? Do I, do I continue the growth? Do I even care about certain bands within the genre? Do I care about modern metal at all if that album doesn't land with me? And the answer is, I don't know. And I refuse to ask that question or answer it, rather, because that's a scary thought. Because what I heard in that album and in subsequent albums that would, uh, you know, I would go back and get the first two and I would review those, but I would always come back to White Pony. What it told me was you don't have to be perfect to perform the music that you love and that you're feeling. That is what I felt with White Pony, is that this isn't metal perfection. This isn't musical perfection. This is a feeling. These are five guys playing music that they feel. Because it wasn't the heaviest album. It certainly is not heavier than Around the Fur. They took a step back. They said, let's reassess. We feel like new metal is on its way out, so we don't have to incorporate the usual, typical things of new metal that we might have done, you know, a couple of years ago. Although, that's sort of a contradiction because the opening track of that special edition is Back to School, which is mostly hip Chino rapping until he belts out the chorus and he's screaming. Why don't you run back to school? But then it's the following tracks. He takes you on a journey. I feel with back to school as your starting track, he's, he's, he's showing you, look, this is where we were. Now follow us track by track to show for us, follow us so we can show you where we're going. I think that album influences everything else they would do in their later career. Now, I'm not going to go track by track, though I could. And maybe that'll be a podcast for another day. Hint, hint. But they received a Grammy nomination that year for a track on White Pony. And they won it for Best Metal Performance. Now, you could say what you will about the particular song that they won from, the song Elite. Maybe if I was on the Grammy committee, I would have given it to a better, not a better, but I would have given it to another more appropriate song like Change or Passenger featuring Maynard James Keenan of Tool. But I'm not on the Grammy committee, so it's moot. But the point is, 
Deftones, of all bands that year, they won. And from a he- for a heavy song, don't get me wrong, but sort of a out-of-the-left-field choice. Nevertheless, they have never been nominated since, and they've never, they certainly never won. It's kind of a travesty. But they get the most commercial success from that album than they have ever gotten before. At that time. And they're touring on that album. And they're going, they're getting MTV play back when they still played videos. They're making their staple as, you know, one of the forefronts of metal at that time. Everyone all over the world loving it. How do you possibly follow that? The answer is you really kind of can't. You can't do the same thing. So they wait three years and they come out with the self-titled album, Simply Just Deftones. And it's almost as if they decided we're going back to the around the fur sort of feeling. We're going to be heavier. We're going to punch you in the face with our tracks. But then we're also going to slow it down and make you breathe. Because there's some very slow tracks. There's some very, uh, uh, there's, there's a melancholy electronic track that was featured on one of the soundtracks of the Matrix trilogies. I believe it was Reloaded. But in my personal opinion, I don't think the band has ever been heavier than on this record. Due in no small part to the fact that Stefan, the guitar player, decided to switch up from his six-string guitar to a seven-string and tunes way, way down. Which normally would, would be sort of a common theme within the new metal genre. But this is 2003, and new metal is all but gone. And no, the Deftones are not keeping it alive. They're making another statement that you want us to give you White Pony Part 2 and we're not going to do that because that's not who we are anymore. We are growing, evolving. They give you the heaviness that you would expect and turn it up. Then they give you the somber melancholy that you might not have heard in a little while from them but they're not incapable of doing it as you find in White Pony, which is a healthy blend of all of it. But I'm sure a lot of people have problems with this record because it didn't do exactly what they thought it was going to do. They would keep doing this, though, They would subvert your expectations with the following. uh, Three years later, they came out with Saturday Night Wrists. Which sort of goes back to a bit of the White Pony formula in the sense that it's a healthy blend of slow melancholy with the heavy rock, heavy, heavy metal. Though more on the melancholy side, I would I would say. Doesn't quite land for me as hard, but still equally good. That's the thing. Deftones, as evolving as each album tends to be, they maintain 
a common core. They never, they never go away from the core of what they are. No song sounds the same. There are traces of one song and another, sure. But there's still the common denominator of the Deftone sound. You see, it's that sound that they found. Whether it be the tone of Steph's guitar or the particular way Abe Cunningham plays the drums, most certainly you could say, well, it's Chino's vocals that keep it consistent. But I maintain it's the entire package. Sadly, though, Saturday Night Wrist would be the last album of bassist Chi Cheng, who uh, a couple years later, and there's a giant, there's a four year gap between Saturday Night Wrist and Diamond Eyes, the next album, because Chi was in a car crash which left him comatose. And although he was on life support for a few years, financially, and because there was no progress shown in his condition, the life support could not maintain. And he was taken off of it, and he passed. And one of, he was one of the core members. And you could feel his presence within the albums. Say what you want about his ability to play. You could feel his enthusiasm, especially when you saw them live. His sound of playing bass was pretty prominent, especially in those later albums. So when Sergio Vega comes on board for Diamond Eyes, it opened a new spectrum. And it should be said that they were working on an album with Chi before his accident. But that whole album was scrapped because the guys felt like they could not continue to work on the music for that album without Chi. So what you're hearing in Diamond Eyes is a completely from scratch edition. An album sort of, I don't want to say made on the fly, but an album that was created from an unfortunate circumstance. And the irony of that is Diamond Eyes, I think, is one of their top-tier albums. Because if there was ever a time that the band got super personal with their lives and threw it into the music, certainly it can be applied to this one. Not to say it wasn't personal before, but this one, the presence of Chi is felt especially if you are well in the know or just have a keen ear to the way the band plays. Sergio is a fantastic bassist, and he's, he's certainly uh, become a fixture in the band. But it's not Chi. And you can hear it, and you can feel it. And I'm sure the band still feels his absence every day. Nevertheless, Diamond Eyes sort of expanded on the sound they had already established well beforehand and opened the gates to something even newer. Not saying they transcended the genre, 
But in a way, they kind of did. Because now they're playing heavier, but they're staying smooth and groovy, yet not afraid to scare you with the heavy thrash riffs and the loud screams, only to bring it back down in the next track, to slow it down, to make you feel like you're contemplating life, to make you feel like it's all shitty, but it's going to be okay. They doubled down on that whole feeling two years later in 2012's Koi no Yokan album. In this one, I think they embrace more of a groove and sort of uh, dialed down the metal just a tad, not a lot, but just a tad. Though the uh, tracks Leathers and Poltergeist would beg to differ with that assessment. Nevertheless, it's what I keep saying, the core the fundamentals of the sound of Deftones have never gone away. They've never lost it. And then they take a long break, they reassess, and they come back with 2016's Gore. Same story. Is it better or less than? That's not for me to say. My personal opinion, I think it fits in their repertoire. But the point I'm trying to make through all of this is that bands come and go. In the metal genre, most especially, bands come and they go. The ones that survive, and you could put it up there with not even just metal bands, put it up there with some of the greats. The Rolling Stones, U2, Rush, etc., the bands with the longevity have maintained because they have evolved. They don't necessarily destroy their sound, though the ones that have have paid dearly for it if they have still survived. The ones that don't stray, don't stay on top of the times, sometimes tend to die and fizzle out. Especially in the metal genre. Because metal is always changing. And bands have to evolve or die. And Deftones stands apart. Because not only have they evolved. They've never compromised their true sound. They found their sound relatively early. Though, as I said, in the first album, Adrenaline... They had to figure it out. And you can hear them figuring it out. But they still knew that what they were doing was in the right direction. For them as a band. When they found it, they held on to it. And said, okay, here we are. Now, how do we grow? How do we grow without compromising the band that we've established. That's what separates the men from the boys, as it were. That's what separates bands that are hot for 10 minutes and the bands that survive through the years. From 1988 to now 2020, that is no small feat. 
And they're not the only ones to do it in the metal genre, certainly. But nobody sounds like Deftones. Often imitated, very often imitated, never duplicated. And there's another band I can think of that followed the same, relatively the same code. But maybe we'll talk about them another time. It's the longevity that makes them stand apart. And the willingness to grow and evolve. That's what makes Deftones great. And that will do it on part one of this special edition of Deftones. I told you I had more to say about particular albums. Maybe go through uh, some tracks individually, but I'm not going to do that here. So you are going to have to come back next time and we will discuss it even further. I am Mark Meyer. This has been Rantings of a Maniac, talking about my favorite band in the world, Deftones. Be sure to tune in to the Feeding the Monster podcast and go visit all of our shows. We have got some very cool stuff lined up for you in the feed. As always, you can catch me on Are We Wearing Pants, the main show, and hit me up on social media, at MarkTheBat on Twitter and Instagram. Howdy folks, it's good old Hillbilly Scribs here and I'd like to invite you to join me every single Monday morning here on the Feedin' the Monster podcast feed for my show, The Hootin' Holler. And this is about a 10 to 15 minute variety show where, you know, I do my darndest to help all of you good folks get your week started off with a smile and a chuckle. So please join us and have a glorious week.